Tonight we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For those who are interested, um, looks like the land sale's going through. So that's a good thing. Bank came out today and took a look at it and said there shouldn't be a problem. So we're moving forward with that. That's exciting. Um, and uh, they're going to call for the appraisal here uh, next week. So that's the first step towards it. So that'll be exciting. Then you got to pray and figure out what we're going to do with it. So who knows? What's that? I'm going to mow it. No, we're going we're gonna to farm it is what we're going to do. We're going to let the cash crop for a while. Now we need to pray for these woods over here. We want the, or what do you guys call it, timber down here? We need that timber over here too, 20 acres of timber. And then we got ourselves a camp, my friends. <laughs> Retreat center, whatever. Then we're set. Or just really good hunting spot. Is that who said that? You? <laughs> I've never seen so many deer stands in one place. <laughs> Deer's just looking at you all. Bunch of rednecks. All right. Yeah, uh, yep, second, second Sunday of October is we're going to have the potluck instead of the first Sunday um, because uh, first Sunday is Life Chain uh, where we go and stand silently and, and do our, uh, um, it's, a, it's a, a prayer time, but it's a public prayer time along Main Street for the uh, death of the unborn in our country, 900,000 this year. Um, and so we're going to be doing that um, on Sunday from 2 to 3 o'clock if you can be there, you know, I'm not... I haven't been promoting it very much, but I'm going to do my best to get it out this, this uh, next week. is kind of a big week. A um, lot of stuff going on here in September, so just trying to make sure you guys get the information when you, when, you know, as you need it anyway. So anyway, potluck, <laughs> very important, is the second Sunday of October. So, um, and Mike brought that to my attention. I'm glad I, I, don't, I don't put those things together sometimes in my head. So that's good. All right. Second or First Corinthians chapter two. Uh, the writer here, um, remember, ministering to a very uh, spirit-filled, gifted church, but very, very carnal at the same time, which uh, showed us something last week that God's gifts and callings are irrevocable, and uh, and they're not dependent upon our holiness; they're dependent upon Christ's holiness and what He's done for us. But Paul. Um, who said, you know, we're not supposed to judge one another, writes this letter, which gives us a very good understanding as to what he means by not judging one another. Because if you can write this letter and say, this isn't judging somebody, then we've got to get this as our definition. This is what it means to call people on, out on the truth. You know, you need to, you need to do the truth. <laughs> you need to uh, be walking with the Lord. You need to be letting God do what he wants to do in your life. And that's really, and it's a short chapter but it's, it's packed. He doesn't have much time. I've got to get this to you guys. I've got to get this letter to you. I want you to get straightened out. What I'm hearing about your church is not good. Um, yes, you have all the gifts of the Spirit, but you're boasting in them. You're prideful about them. You're not using them to build each other up. You're using to separate and divide over, and that's not what the gifts are for. The fruit of the Spirit was never intended for the person necessarily. It's for the people around that person. Christ said it was to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I can't send the helper. But if I do go away, I'm going to send the helper. And then you're going to be, I'm going to be, Christ in us is going to be everywhere. And what a blessing that is. 
And so um, Paul's trying to get their mind focused on, look, um, I, I'm glad you got a shiny new car, but start driving people to church with it is the idea. Start using it to bring God glory, whatever gift God's given you. And so he picks that up here as he speaks about um, and shares with us about the, the flesh or the carnal man versus the man who's spiritual. It begins in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's so important we understand that. We don't want our faith to be in the wisdom of men. We want it to be in the power of God. My kids have all grown up in church, obviously. They've grown up in ministry. They've been serving in ministry with Jenny and I since they were born. We take them everywhere we went. We put them in quickly. But every one of my kids has to be born again. There has to come a time when they're born again. And every one of us has to have that same experience. They've heard the word. They've maybe even received it. They've even memorized it. But they've got to be born again. They have to they have to see God with his power. They have to experience God's power in their life. And uh, that's what Paul's trying to get across. Don't be so excited about the way you speak and, and how often you speak or, or with what words you use. It's not about that. Paul, when he speaks of man's wisdom, um, when he came to Corinth, he had just gotten off a, a very... Uh, unfruitful ministry in Acts chapter 17 verses 22 through 34 it says this is right before he comes to Corinth then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said men of Athens I perceive that in all things you are very religious for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings. So that, they should, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and men's or man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed 
among them uh, Dionysus and Areop, uh, the Areopagite, uh, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Very few. See, he had come into contact with these guys on top of this mount. Uh, it's Mars Hill is what it's called, um, the Areopagus. And they would, that's what they would do. They'd stand there and they'd orate. And it really didn't matter what they said. It was how they said it and how quick they were and how clever they were. And look at that story. And boy, put that in there just right. And guy, this is just really good. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this. But it didn't matter what they said. Paul, in that theater, joins them, unfortunately, I think. It's my personal opinion. And begins to give the gospel this way. How many of you tracked that? I mean, I know it's the end of the day. I know you're a little bit tired. But how many of you were like, yeah, get, I mean, to be honest with you, it isn't one of his best. He never mentions the name Jesus. He never mentions the crucifixion. He never mentions the resurrection from the dead. Well, he did, but he started with that. But he never got to Christ. He never got to Jesus. And they turned away. I think it was a failure. I think he felt that as a failure. It was a miserable time for him. That's man's wisdom. That's what it looks like sometimes when we try to minister with what we think people need, not with what God's told us they need. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we know and read and memorize and learn how the guys who did it right did it. And we, we do what the Holy Spirit leads us to do because he knows what people need. Paul began to give them this oration and a few people got saved, a handful. They got it. Now, God can use anything for sure, for sure. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. We just learned that last week. But this was not a success for him. This didn't go very well. It was a very small, very small, meager event. Well, that's man's wisdom. Here's what God's wisdom looks like. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit fills the person. It's in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. This is Peter, after the upper room, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says this, he gives a great testimony, gives a great sharing of the gospel, and concludes really with this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, Lord and Christ. That's how he concludes it. That's a pretty bold statement. This Jesus, whom you crucified, is now Lord in Christ. He's the Savior. He's the one you killed. You killed the Savior. There was no appealing to their nature. There was no appealing to where they were becoming relevant to their cultural situation, understanding that I was speaking to a mixed multitude and need to really respect their uh, you know, places of origin. No, he looks at them all. And he concludes, his final statement is, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The truth cuts to the heart. God's word works. I don't have to figure out how to flavor it, how to get them to swallow it. A lot of times we spend, a, we, we do that. I, I remember when they first asked me to teach Sunday school, I'd try to figure out how to flavor it so the kids would swallow it, like I was giving them medicine or something. We had that at Rogers when I was working there. They'd take it out and they'd ask the customer, what kind of flavor do you want to put in? You could flavor it right there. And they'd say, oh, I don't know, none of, none of it makes it taste any good. And they're exactly right. It still tastes like metal. No matter what you put on top, it's gross. 
trying to flavor it for the kids means you've done something wrong. You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the lesson. You don't understand the beauty. It's not hard to love God. It's not hard to fall in love with God. It's not hard to worship Him. Peter doesn't flavor it. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's what you want to hear at the end of a message. What must I do? I don't want to be, I don't want to be where I am. I want to be where you are. And Peter said to him, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. How would that go over today? Be saved from this perverted nation. I mean, we're all excited right now about the flag and the eagle and saluting, standing hand on the heart, and that's good. But we're a very perverted nation right now. Still perverted. Nobody's done anything about the California porn industry. Nobody's done anything about the drugs. You see how many, how much, what was that? What's that? Uh, it's a drug bust in New York City that they just did um, for the, it's, it's, they said it's 50 times more powerful than heroin. It's a fent, fent, fentanyl. Is that what it's called, fentanyl? I don't know why I'm pointing at you. Like, you know what? Yeah, yeah man, it's fentanyl. No, I, I just, you're kind of paramedic kind of guy. I thought maybe you'd know what the drug is. Fentanyl, enough fentanyl to kill 32 million people. Enough fentanyl to overdose 32 million people. That's not taking it properly, obviously. You can imagine spread out if it was taken within reason, whatever that is, if there is a reason. We got a perverted problem. We need to be saved from it. Saved from this perversion. And Peter so boldly be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That's the key. Not, not everybody gladly received it. That's why he makes that distinction. Those that gladly received his word were baptized. That means some didn't gladly receive his word. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now that's fruit. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a man's heart and a man's mouth and gives him the words to speak and the man stays out of the way and allows him to speak. That's what happens. That's the power of God. Paul says, I determined not to come with persuasive words and I'm going to fill in the gap here for him because I tried that and it didn't work. I came to you in fear he says, I came to you in fear and in much trembling and weakness. He was defeated. What a miserable experience. I got like five people in that whole city saved. So I came to you and I said, I determined. And you know what? It takes determination to not go that route. It's hard not to try to become an orator. I mean, I don't want to bore everybody to death on purpose. I think I do that on my own. I don't go out and try, but Paul says I had, to be, he, I had to be careful that I didn't rely on my past schooling experiences, being a part of the Sanhedrin, being a part of that uh, mental ascension that I had before. I had to come 
Like when I was on the road to Emmaus, or uh, not Emmaus, Damascus. Thank you. On the road to Damascus, both two good roads. When I was on my knees, when I fell down, when God blinded me, that's how I have to come to you, filled with the Holy Spirit. So I didn't come with you with persuasive words. I came with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. Fear. This is what happens in Acts 18, 9 through 11. He's in Corinth. It's starting to go okay. But this is what God speaks to Paul in a vision while he's at Corinth. He's at this city that he's writing to, right after the failure of the Areopagus. He comes to Corinth. He's been ministering for a while. And this is what God speaks to Paul in a vision. Verse 9, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. It's the longest he spent really anywhere as far as starting churches go. Now, we don't know what Paul prayed. We don't know what was going on in his heart, but we know that God felt it necessary to give him this vision. So we know what was going on in his heart, don't we? Don't be afraid because you are. Speak, even though you don't want to and you're afraid to. Don't keep silent, because that would be easier. I'm just going to make tents. I'm going to keep my head down, and I'm just going to do my job. I'm not going to make waves. I'm tired of getting beat. I'm tired of getting stoned. I'm tired of getting caned. I'm tired of getting beat down every time I go someplace. Paul's in a rough spot here. You don't see this side of Paul. In fact, the Bible doesn't show us that side of Paul, but it does show God's side of Paul as he's ministering to him. God's ministering to him. Paul, I know you're afraid. I know you want to keep silent. I heard you say that, brushing your teeth last night. You know, you know I'm just keeping my mouth shut. It's a lot easier. Everybody else does. For I'm with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. Oh, what a relief. I'm going to walk out of this place without another cast. Luke's not going to have to patch me up after this place. What a relief. You know he's going to have to revive me from the dead? Goodness sakes, that poor guy. What a, guy. What a man. And he continued there a year and six months. I'm going to stay put. <laughs> this is good. I'm enjoying this. I'm healed, you know. That's the fear. Here's the determination. There's a lot of determinations. I'm going to be, I'm determined. There's a lot of scripture verses. This one I think fits it best. The kind of determination that Paul came to Corinth with is this in Ruth chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. If you don't know the story, I don't have time to give you all the background. The, di- the deal is every guy's dead in the story. The women are heading back, or one of the women, is, uh, Naomi, the mother, is heading back to her uh, country, Israel, and the two gals that her boys married are now widows, and one's going to stay where they are, and the other one, Ruth, and that's the point of the story, that's the focus of the story, says, I'm going with you, Naomi. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. And here's what, here's what determination looks like. And she said, look, this is Naomi saying to Ruth, stay. You know, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, this is determination, entreat me not to leave you 
or to turn back from following after you. But wherever you go, for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you from me. That's determination. And Naomi, seeing that, said this. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. I throw that in there because, I mean, that's my heart for Jesus. I hope that's everybody's heart for Jesus. I'm not going anywhere. The only thing that's going to separate me from you, which is kind of weird to say about God, I guess, because we're going to join him in heaven, but you know what I'm saying, death. And then we get to see him in person as opposed to experience him by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I'm coming to you with fear. I'm coming to you determined not to show up in man's wisdom or power, but in God's power, that your salvation, guys, might be real, genuine, to the core. So many people grew up in church and have never been born again. So many people have been raised Christian to where that's just part of their name now. It has nothing to do with their heart. They've never been born again. It's a real danger in our society. There's so many churches, so many kids being raised in these youth groups. And I'm sure everybody's doing it right. But if they're not, someone needs to tell these kids, by the way, somewhere along this road, you have to be born again or none of this matters. None of this counts. I don't care if you made it all the way through. I don't care if you got your white Bible and your red carnation and your white robe, which I received. Guys, I'm one of those folks. I was raised in the church. I went all the way through the nursery, all the way up through confirmation, all the way through senior high. And yes, I went all the way through high school. I went to, I went to church and I was not born again. And not once was I told I needed to be born again, except by my fourth grade Sunday school teacher who was there for one semester, the first semester. That was it, one time in that whole time. But boy, I knew how to glue macaroni to paper plates I knew how to throw glitter around, and I know where the donuts were and how to get them before the adults came downstairs. I knew how to find all the cool hiding places in the church. But nothing about Jesus as far as being born again. Well, that we would determine to show up in humility, in brokenness, trembling, not to show up with these great orating, this oration that we've devised, just show up in the power of God and let God's word work. Let it work. We don't have to do anything to motivate it. Just unleash him. You unleash the Holy Spirit in your life and in the classrooms and in your workplace. I mean, look out. I'm going through a season right now that's just out of this world, and I'll let you know how it all turns out. But I'm in the middle of something right now that's just insane. I'm loving it, walking by faith. I mean, I quit this job at Rogers I had no idea why. I mean, I've been working there for two and a half years. And all of a sudden, why now? I haven't been happy the whole time. I mean, it's a great job. It's fine. But why now? So many things are coming up. As soon as I quit, bam, this happens. Boom, boom, boom. It's like, oh, God knew. God knew you ain't going to have time to do all that other stuff. You know, this is what's going on right now. And it's just an amazing, my dad's getting a blood transfusion tomorrow morning. Didn't see that coming. Hemoglobin's at 7, supposed to be at 14 or 16. Get a blood transfusion tomorrow. Okay. Hand surgery, Monday. Got to go up there for that. I mean, 
land sale, stuff's going on. I love it, you know? So I'll let you know how it all works out. But man, every day, just wake up and say, oh, that's what I'm doing today, you know? It's a good thing you worked all this out. It's a good thing I didn't trust in my wisdom, my plans. I didn't wait. I just did exactly what he told me to do when he told me to do it. And I'm figuring it out as I go. It's such a blessing to walk that way. Anyway, power of God, he says. We're showing up with the power of God. Verse 6, however, Paul says, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have en- entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Did you catch that? We quote this scripture as if, yeah, I just can't wait to see it. No, Paul's saying, we already know. You didn't know beforehand. This scripture is often quoted wrongly. In context, he's saying, but God has revealed them to us. All these things have been fulfilled there in verse 9. He showed us all these things. You know how much new information the church got with Christ? It's been 400 years since God has spoken between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. 400 years of silence, God hasn't spoken. And then all of a sudden, God begins to just show stuff to everybody. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, for what man knows, the things of a man, except the Spirit of the man which is in him. Okay, you only know, right? Unless you tell somebody, nobody knows. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We know. I don't think we realize that. I mean, maybe you do. Some of the new information we receive, Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9, when Jesus was transfigured, Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That means he took on his glorified form right in front of those three guys. Boom, you know, whoa. He revealed that to them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. That's, that's the Father. You know how few, like a handful of people in the Bible have ever been able to hear his voice out audibly right there. I mean, we always, I've been led by the Spirit, and we have a feeling or a sense. Uh, Audibly? These three guys hear the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. I mean, it's one thing to see Jesus. I don't know why they thought that was any different and why they weren't on their faces before him. But when the Father spoke from heaven, can you imagine what that would have sounded like? I don't know. So intense that they fell on their face. 
But Jesus came, oh wait, um, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. That's an exclusive peak. You know, that's a preview. Those are tickets not everybody got, you know. Interesting how Jesus responds the way, same way in Revelation when he touches John on the shoulder and says, it's okay. It's the same, same person. New information, never been shown before, never been seen before. God is showing them, nor eye has seen nor ear heard, have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. They got to see it. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. New information. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. New information. I'm going to give you power. Wait there for the power to come upon you. Exciting. Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. Later on, the next day, as they went on their journey, they drew near the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice uh, spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. This is new information. God is revealing himself. Guys, he's never stopped. I mean, I know you know that I'm preaching to the choir, probably, I hope. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God is still giving us information. We have the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit of Christ. If you've been born again, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's how we operate here on this worldly man, man's wisdom run earth. You can step outside of that. You can walk above that. We can walk through that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by listening to him, by being led by him, by being guided by him, by having the mind of Christ and trusting it. I think that's our biggest thing is believing and trusting him. Really? You really want me to do this? You're not going to give me any more information than that? You just want me to do that? Mm -hmm. Good enough. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, talk about new information. John on the island of Patmos. The revelation of Jesus Christ, what God gave him, God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Everything in the book of Revelation is what he's talking about here in verse 9. Nobody knew that stuff. 
It was all laid out. They were always in the Old Testament looking at these old guys trying to figure it out. Hey, oh, look what I found. Sorry. Hey, you. Poker. It's a good bookmark, isn't it? That's from her wedding. Anyway. <laughs> Squirrel. Sorry. <laughs> I like coming upon stuff like that. Anyway, it's kind of fun. Um, all of it. They've all been looking through the Old Testament, looking at the Psalms and trying to figure out the prophecies and how's it all going to work out. And then John gets to sit there and say, how about I just show you everything? And just lays it out. Here's where you're going to be. Here's what's going to happen to the churches. Here's where you're going to, you're going to be in heaven while this is all going on through 6 through 19. Then when 19 happens, Jesus comes back. Just lays it all up for him. I don't have to look at this verse 9 and say, boy, I can't wait to figure it all out. Nope. He showed us. He's given us all this information. It's very important to walk in the Spirit and the power of the Spirit in this world. Not just churched, born again, changed, transformed. Verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him. This is important, guys. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I can try to talk about Christianity with unbelievers. I can try to doctrinally explain doctrine to them. I can have persuasive words, but I'm speaking to someone who's not capable of understanding the things of the Spirit. That's what he's saying there. Not that they won't. He says, nor can they know him. They can't. They can't understand these things that you're talking about because they're not born again. You want to show that video really quick? Let's turn the lights off and you can watch this. Now, this is a tearjerker, and it's not meant for any other reason but to show you something that this is what it's like for someone when they get born again, okay? It's just a, it's a worldly example, but it's, it's interesting. Let's watch it. This is them hearing for the first time through these hearing devices. They've been deaf their whole life. Guys, the world needs Jesus. We know that. And they can't understand him. They can't hear him. But um, when the Holy Spirit touches them, when you're used by the Holy Spirit, when God, you open your mouth and you let it out, Mixed with the Holy Spirit, not with persuasive words, not with but just the power of God. Um, people get saved. You know what that was to look like with 3,000 people coming to know Jesus when Peter shared? I mean, imagine the tears that were flowing. For the first time, they had gone to church their whole life. They had gone to temple their whole life. They had sacrificed who knows how many goats, lambs, whatever. But when they got born again, that change the world is deaf. The world is blind. And Jesus Christ is the only one by the power of Holy Spirit, of his Holy Spirit that can open the blind eyes and that can open the deaf ears. My words, my words fall on deaf ears. God's words go right through. Is that me? Sorry. God's words go right through. They open them up. Paul finishes up here um, 
But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. He's letting him know you're not going to be judged properly by them. Of course not. They're deaf. They're blind. You should read the story of Helen Keller. Amazing. Amazing. What happened with her and how she got brought out of it through patience and, and all. But she didn't understand anything. She couldn't comprehend anything. She was mute. She was deaf. She was blind from birth. Imagine trying to learn and she was treated like an animal most of her life. You might get bit a few times as you're trying to help. Don't resent it. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus said it perfectly on the cross. And this is important for us to all understand what he meant by that. He was getting bit. He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He understood. No, no, no. You wait till their eyes are opened. You wait till their ears are opened. You wait. They're going to see what this is all about. They're going to see love for the first time. What's happening to me right now, Christ says, hey, don't. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Our world is going to bite, and they're going to snap at us, and they're going to do some pretty, pretty unfriendly things towards us. Paul knows that. Christ knew that. We ought to know that. You ought to know that. Last few scriptures here, and then we'll close. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Not that he will not. He cannot. Nicodemus said to him, rightly so, perfect example, not discerning what Jesus was talking about spiritually. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's not what he was talking about, but that's what he heard. Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's Jesus trying to minister to someone who's blind and doesn't know. And by the way, Nicodemus is one of the guys that helps bury Christ at the end because he saw his eyes were open and his ears were open and he began to understand the spiritual things. It happened only after the crucifixion, though. The spiritual man can understand. Here's an example of it. Acts chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. Jesus tells the disciples, the helper's coming. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus, it's the spirit of Christ that we're asking for. This Holy Spirit that people are so afraid of, it's just him. It's just the spirit of Christ. No different. That's why he says, I'm going to send you another. In Acts chapter 16, this is our final scripture, 5 through 15. He's telling the disciples again, but now I go away to him who sent me. 
going back to the Father. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has our mind. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Paul's excited that the Corinthian church has the Holy Spirit. They're glad that they're using the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But this is a, a humble reminder to them of what it's he, the Spirit, is meant for, what these gifts are designed for, not to glorify yourself, but to glorify the one who gave them to you, the Father. And so, That's where we leave off tonight. Small chapter, but powerful. Paul's going to take them very carefully from their carnal carnal Christianity to have a spiritual walk with the Lord. And they're going to receive it. 2 Corinthians tells us they do. Be encouraged. And I hope whatever you heard, you apply. Whatever God had for you tonight, don't forget it. Don't forget it. It was by the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit touched your heart. It was meant specifically for you. And now you need to implement it. It's up to you to let the Holy Spirit work in your life. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter. Thank you for Paul's heart. I, uh, you know, he's a tough guy, God. I know he is. I know he had a lot of grit. Um, and yet I feel for him when you're ministering to him. Thank you for sharing that moment just between you and him. That You wrote that down in, our, in the word. That was for us. It was, it was for us to be encouraged that even Paul, this guy who seems larger than life, Superman, super apostle, had a tough time. And uh, God, as we have tough times, God, we pray that you administer it to us the same way, and, and in fact, you have tonight. We thank you for that. Lord, help us to live for you, to be born again, to be filled with your Holy Spirit, to bear fruit that you might get glory and to use the gifts that you've given us to bring other people to you, to lift them up, to edify the body of Christ, but also to evangelize and to tell other people about the wonderful works that you've done. And Lord, we pray that it's not with our persuasive words, but that we would just by faith open our mouth and share whatever your Holy Spirit desires to speak through us. And that we would then custom minister to each and every person that's in front of us, Lord, one-on-one. We love you. Thank you. Thank you for letting us be a part of this. You didn't need us, but you're letting us, and we're so thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.